it's good to be together and it's great to be back there's a lot on my heart but i think i just need to stick to the uh, to the main <laughs> business which is uh which is preaching but i do next week we are going to take some time and and pray uh with and for lindsay and jackie and jess um and just acknowledge before the lord these are people that god has given to us and uh and we are grateful for that and and for their ministry among us so we're going to take a short series a, a bit of a devotional series for the next several weeks um and we're going to be looking at the book of joshua and this morning's sermon is called every place you set your foot based on a promise that God gave to Joshua. Every place you set your foot. Now, some friends of ours once inherited a beautiful farm. Sorry, let me do this. A beautiful, magnificent farm on a Norwegian fjord lake. And even though the farm was legally theirs, it was really only theirs on paper because they were missionaries in South Africa. And as I, if I remember correctly, what emerged during the legal process is that the only way they could inherit the farm, that the farm could actually become theirs, is if they lived there. And they faced a really tough decision. Up until that point, they'd given themselves here in South Africa and a lifetime of investing themselves in ministry. They were heading towards retirement and they faced this massive decision. Here we have this inheritance. Do we take possession of what has been promised? Do we make a total change of life to receive that which is legally ours. And I remember being struck at the time how closely their situation actually mirrored the challenges and the issues faced by the children of Israel under Joshua. You see, Israel has moved out and they're now out of the desert and very much in enemy territory. And in particular, they defeated the kings of, of Sion and Og. And you can read about that in Numbers chapter 21. And uh, if you can look up on the slide just behind me, the PowerPoint, I'll show you a map. And you can see that they were just to the east of the River Jordan. And, uh, they, and there was a land that they'd conquered over there. However, it's one thing to win a battle. It's one thing to move into territory. It's another thing to hold that new posi position and safely make it yours. And of course, they hadn't even crossed the Jordan at this stage. So at, at the time of Moses' death, uh, the children of Israel faced several dangers. They faced the very real possibility of defeat in battle. They were now, they had taken ground, but they were completely surrounded by hostiles. They, uh, if they weren't going to be beaten in battle, they could be absorbed into the culture and the world around them. Or they could just get stuck in nowhere land, out of Egypt but not into the land of promise. And so they have to go forward or fail. Have you ever got to the point where you've, you've kind of gone somewhere and now you've, you've literally got to go forward? There, there is no turning back. In aviation terms, we talk about crossing the red line uh, for pilots <clears throat> when, um, when your fuel reserve reaches a point where you can no longer return to your, 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 uh, your place of departure. Your only safety is now pressing forward. This is where Israel was. And so we read from Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. What a wonderful description. What a wonderful description. 
So many people tried to be heroes. Moses was content mm. to be a servant. Numbers 12 tells us he was the most humble man mm. in all the earth at his time. I think he wrote that. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, he didn't write that. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give them. I'm going to give it to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Keep it on your brain. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Keep it in your hands and feet. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. How do you command someone to have courage? You, you just scare them with the alternative. So you're courageous over there because you know this one is even bigger over here. And so when we face our fears, it's because we know that we have a God who is so much greater. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. There's something in fear that is chosen. There's something in discouragement that is volitional. Don't partner with them. Don't listen to their lies. They're in the atmosphere around you. They want to inform the way you live, the way you act and what you do. Don't go there. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. That is the atmosphere. That is the spirit. That is the presence you want to know. So the first thing we see is they get promised a home of their own. Isn't that a wonderful thing? When you've 400 and something years plus another 40 years in the wilderness, you have not had a home. Generation after generation after generation. This is a, a nation that has lived in borrowed places. And they have been promised a home of their own. But this promise is very conditional. You can have the whole land, literally every place. I'm going to give it to you. But there is a condition. 
You only get where you go. You only get it. You've got to, you've got to take your feet and go there. You've got to, like our friends in Norway, you've got to move from this place to that place. It's not going to be yours until you actually take possession of it. Unlike our friends in Norway who received a lovely welcome when they arrived there, this place is bristling with hostiles. The locals are completely closed to you right now. They are not rolling out the red carpet, but God still says to you, go, I will give it to you. And some of the things we've got to realize is that uh, we, we are going to have to contend for the place God wants us to be. There's a place in God and a place from God that He intends for you to be, but it's a place you have to contend for. It's not something... And God says, if you go, I will give it to you. I will give you every place where you set your foot. So this promise of a home that you contend for is also a promise of victory. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. But still, in, in spite of those promises, Joshua has to get up and go. He's got to move. Until he does, he possesses nothing. Now, most of us don't really like this kind of conditional promise from God. We would have a, a much prefer a risk-free arrangement. But if you understand the ways of God, you know that it's in the obedience that you actually encounter the person. And God is promising them something more than a home. He promises them His presence. And so the second point is the promise of God's presence. And this is unconditional. He just says, I'll never leave. I, I'm, I'm never going to let go. I'm never going to stop being there. It's an eternal, unconditional promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now looking back, Joshua had learned from his mentor Moses He'd been with him in that tent of meeting. In fact, when Moses would go glow-in-the-dark encounter with God, Joshua was there. Moses would leave and he'd wear a veil. Joshua would stay in the presence. Moses' example, for example, in the battle against the Amalekites, where Moses was on the mountain just lifting up his hands in intercession with the help of Aaron and, and her, Joshua was on the ground battling, but he was symbolizing that, that, that reaching out for God's presence, that intercession, that place of prayer and connection. And he was learning from Moses not only the secret place, but the place of warfare in the presence of God. And he obviously knew of Moses' great prayer for God's presence. God, if you don't go with us, don't send us out from here. Because if you are not with us, what will make us different from anyone else in all the world? Moses began to cry out for God's glory. So not only are they promised a home, but they are promised the unshakable, unconditional presence of God. Now some theologies and churches are, are almost dismissive of the manifest presence of God. They argue that since Pentecost the Holy Spirit has been given to the church and you can just take this as a given. And I've just been saying it's unconditional. It's like God's never going to give up on us. So you don't actually need to seek or 
endeavor to host or sustain his presence but i think that's a mistake it is a given that the holy spirit has come thank you holy spirit we love your presence and we don't earn a gift but you do need to open it you need to receive it and the way you open the grace and the gift of the holy spirit is you honor his presence and then as he begins to work you work with him and you obey him jesus was literally defined by the presence of god but interesting even in his life for example in luke chapter 5 we read that now the power of the lord was present to heal the sick there were times in jesus's ministry where god's presence becomes and the technical word is manifest it's it's so unmistakable well actually wait a minute it's manifest but it's still mistakable you see we might be tempted to say that god's presence is unmistakable but that would not be true to scripture there's Jesus ministering in amazing ways and many people completely miss it. We would imagine that if the Son of God, God the Son, true God of true God is among you and by the power of the Spirit He is doing ministry. His anointing is increasing. People are being set free. The brokenhearted are being, uh, are, are being comforted and strengthened. And, and, the, and those who are held in captivity are being set free and the blind are seeing. You'd think this is unmistakably the presence of God and yet people mistake it. Jesus heals a man born blind and people still go around going, is this the guy? Is this guy? It is so easy for us to miss this unconditional promise of God. Just turn to the person next to you and say, it's, this is easy to miss. Was it easy? This is easy to miss. It's, even when it is crazy obvious, it's easy to miss. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Even when it's crazy obvious, it's easy to miss. You know, Jacob said, Genesis 28 verse 16, when he fell asleep at a place that became known as Bethel, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Wow. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. So how do we get better at this? Because <laughs> if we're going to if we're going to take possession of the place God wants us, and if we're going to win the victories, it is because God is with us. Can I get an amen from behind that mask? Amen. If we're going to take possession, it is because God is present with us. So how do we get better at this? How do we how do we not miss it? Number one, start by recognizing that no matter what you're feeling, God is keeping this promise. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, God has made this the unconditional promise. The conditional thing is whether you will get where He has promised, as it were, to give you if you will go. But no matter where you are, He is not giving up on you. And no matter what you're facing, He is keeping this promise. You see, His very name is Yahweh. Now, without going into a wonderful name study and a sermon series on the name, in essence, the name means I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I've always been who I will be. 
But it's not just that, it is I am who I am here right now. I am always here right now. I am always the God who is always here right now. There is never a place, never a moment, never a time when the fullness of God has not been available to you. And so the question I have to begin to ask myself is, or, or, or not the question, the quest is to develop the discernment to develop the prophetic sight and to cultivate the ability to pay attention to that which my natural eyes and ears can't see and hear but the interesting thing is once I start wanting to do that it's actually in the obvious things, in the natural things, that you actually start getting the first hints that the Lord is present. You know, Jesus looked for where he could see his father at work, even if it was just a hint, even if it was. And so he goes to the woman at the well. And he, it says he had to go through Samaria. Now, clearly he didn't. There were other routes, much more popular routes, but there was something that compelled him. And when he got to that midday well and he saw this woman walking towards him, he's saying, Father, what are you doing? I know you're at work. That's how he explains it afterwards. My father's always at work. And I'm here and I'm going to finish his work. Father, what are you doing in this woman's life? And he pays attention to the little details and he begins to get the downloads that are going to literally change her life and change her village. And so the first thing is start by recognizing God always keeps this promise. The second is actively cultivate prophetic attention and imagination. And then thirdly, like Jesus, join in. We get to work with our Father by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our model. I'm going to keep rolling. There's more I could say. But then they promised the path to success. Verse 7, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And so we have the land of promise and the place of God's presence that come to us through the book of God's words. Now there are no shortcuts. Remember we started praying at the beginning. What Jesus tells that woman at the well. Spirit and truth daily I need to bring this to mind and deeply rewrite the story of my life according to the book of God's words so one of the things I'm, I'm told to do is I've got to put this on my lips it's amazing when you speak about something that you have to think about it beforehand but sometimes even just taking it like Dave and Caro did and they took Psalm uh, 103, Psalm 104, Psalm 105 and you literally take the words onto your lips, something begins to stir inside of you. And then he says, I want you to meditate on it as well. So now you're speaking it and you're beginning to process it and 
meditation according to scripture yes it does involve bringing stillness to your thoughts and focus but you don't have to meditate into a vacuum in fact you meditate according to content and you take God's word and you make it the content of your thought and reflection and over time the interesting thing is is that most of this law that he was talking about was actually narrative you know, yeah, we've got, you know, we've got some of the law there in Deuteronomy and other places. But most of the, the book that, that Joshua was talking to the, it was the Pentateuch. And, and most of it is actually story. It's not just a set of laws. And when I begin to meditate on the story of God as he has walked with people, God begins to rewrite my story. And he begins to show me how what he has done in their story can begin to translate into my own. And eventually I get to the point where I cannot tell my story without framing it in the language of this book. Now for us, the book has got a whole lot bigger. We've moved from the Pentateuch all the way to the Apostles John uh, final revelation. And the climax is the person of Jesus Christ. We read in John chapter 1, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so when God's truth and God's presence define me, I find my home in him. And according to this passage, he stands guarantee of my final success. Our application of this promise is indirect, and just before we all blow away, let me try and land this quickly. God does not necessarily have a piece of land waiting for us somewhere. What we see in the Old Testament is sometimes figurative, and we see it's a shadow of what is coming in the New he does not ten, intend that we go and fight the locals and it's winner takes all. You might be relieved to know. The New Testament has seriously changed that. Not because God is not interested in this world, but because we never inherit the, his kingdom by fighting against people. Our battle now is for people. And this room raises many challenges, as it were. How many homes... As you look around you, how many homes do you think God would long for his people to be able to set their feet and bring salvation? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who tell Zion, your God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns. How many homes do you think God wants to give us? How many people in this neighborhood does he love? How many people in Lunga and Kensington and Maitland and Mowbray and Thornton and Bontyville does our God love? How many Rahabs, and we'll find out a little bit about her later in the series, already pray to God? We find this, this woman of ill repute, but she's a prayer. <laughs> But she has no people to whom she can belong. You see, God's promise to us remains. 
it's where we will set our feet. It's where we will actually go. See, the gospel is not just anointing the Holy Spirit and His power. The gospel is incarnation. Jesus literally taking flesh and blood and walking into people's homes and lives and families and world. And it's incarnation and it's anointing. It's going there in the power of the Spirit. And I think the challenge we face is do we settle where we found ourselves comfortable or will we fight for people? And next week we're going to look at that. Now most fights are ugly, but Paul calls this fight for the sake of others. A beautiful fight, a good fight. I have fought the good fight. The word can be translated as beautiful. You see, when we join God and contend for the lives of others, we become beautiful. Our very feet, the thing that moves over the land, every place where you set your feet, God says, that is beautiful. That is amazing. And so the overarching promise in Joshua's life mission is I will give you every place you set your feet. But Joshua, you've got to be willing to go. Incarnation. You've got to be there. And I will be with you, anointing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you even in this breeze, which is uh, picking up that you remind us of your eternal, unshakable, unconditional promise that you will never leave us, never forsake us. And we say thank you. We say thank you. Maybe just take a moment. Tell God that you're grateful. thank you that as we look at this community around us firstly this one in which we are children of God together we say thank you that we get to be a people thank you that we are your bride thank you that that we are a light but we pray that we would be a light to the world and we pray that your mission through us would accomplish your purpose And so we say again, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. I just sense for some of you, God wants to just awaken that kind of prophetic attention span. It's like, Lord, I, I, I've got a little rusty at seeing you, at discerning you. 
quietly just say this Holy Spirit I honor your ministry I pray again for the ability to see where you are at work I ask again for the capacity to hear your voice of wisdom and counsel and I ask you help me not to mistake what you are doing in Jesus name Amen okay we're gonna quickly pick up a testimony first um, thank you thank you Julia should be on so um, I was so encouraged by your sermon, uh, especially what you said about it's one thing to get the victory, it's a whole other thing to hold on to it and to maintain it. Um, and a friend of mine, had uh, her husband had a massive heart attack two weeks ago, um, and it just it was just absolutely terrible. But a week before, so the heart attack was on the Saturday, and on the Monday she had a dream, and the Holy Spirit prepared her. Can you hear me okay? So, um, so she had this dream where she was standing with her, with her arms folded around her chest um, and, and uh, her pastor came to her and tapped her on the arms and said, no girl, you can't stand like that. You can't stand in that position of disappointment. You have to put your one arm up in front of your face and your other arm uh, forward like this in a battle stand. Uh, and, and he said to her, you, you cannot partner with disappointment. So she didn't know what the dream was about and she woke up and told her husband and she wasn't sure what was coming. And then she's so grateful in hindsight for that dream because in the two weeks after his heart attack, you know, they thought they were going to lose him like several times. There were three nights she didn't sleep. The hospital phoned and said, it's not looking good. You know, now he's got a chest infection. Now he's got this, now he's got that. Um, it was hectic, but it was so helpful for her to know that she had to repent of standing in anything except victory. She had to repent if she was partnering with any disappointment, any um, failure, like any, okay, we've lost this battle now. You know, she had to repent of that and stand in victory and say, God, I'm standing in victory. I know you're going to come through. I know you're going to provide. I know you're going to heal him. I know you're going to bring us through. Um, and now uh, when she sent me the message yesterday, her husband was sitting up in bed in hospital. So thank God for that. But it was so um, powerful what, I, what she was sharing. Thank you so much. Just about it's one thing to know that you have the victory and it's a whole other thing to hold on to it and not let go. Thank you, Juliet. So maybe just anyone need that testimony as a take home? Like, just stand, just stand. It's kind of you going, okay, I know God has given me a victory. I need, I need to not let go of that victory. I need to hold that victory. Okay, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for victories. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you, just as you granted Israel victory, so now you wanted them to not lose the breakthrough, not lose the territory, not surrender what you had given. And Father, you see and you know every person, every situation resent, uh, represented right here, right now. And we just speak faith to your hearts, church. I speak faith. I speak fresh anticipation of the victory that God will enable you to stand in going forward. You know he's given you victory. 
And you're not going to surrender that ground back to the enemy. In Jesus' name, I bless you to stand. I bless you to trust Him. I bless you to persevere and to see the full outcome that you're trusting for. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.